Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. So this past week, I read about a woman who woke her husband up in the middle of the night. Henry, wake up. I just had this horrible nightmare. I dreamed that husbands were being sold on the auction block, some for millions, some for tens of thousands, and that's all it took to get Henry awake, to which he responded to his wife, well, honey, what were husbands like me being sold for? She said, well, that's the thing, you were being sold at a buck a dozen. So just wanted to bring a little lightheartedness because we're about to take a look at a group called the Babylonians that had marched into Jerusalem in 605 BC. They took Daniel and his buddies captive, and they put a lot of emphasis on dreams. They studied them. They had books on them. They actually used drugs to induce their dreams. They went into chants and meditations to try to move into a dream realm. And I believe because Nebuchadnezzar and his crew had so much emphasis on dreams, God just reached this man right where he was at. So you're about to see in Daniel chapter 2 verses 1 through 30 that God is going to get a hold of Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. Uh, Why he used this method, I'm not totally sure, other than, like I said, he was already so involved in inducing dreams and that kind of stuff. On top of that, Nebuchadnezzar was a very prideful man, and maybe the only time God could get him to listen was when he was asleep. So he begins to speak to Nebuchadnezzar through this dream. Now, you're about to see that Neb has this dream, and it wasn't uncommon for the king to call in the wise men, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the king would tell them about the dream and then tell them, give me the interpretation. Well, at this point, it looks like Nebuchadnezzar might begin to catch on that these guys are just making stuff up. He has a dream, they make stuff up, they appease him with the interpretation of the dream. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar's not going to tell his wise men, the astrologers, the Chaldeans about the dream. He's going to make them tell him what the dream was about, to which you're about to see. They're going to go, that's impossible. Now remember, Daniel and then Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they're all part of this crew. So whatever fate the wise men, the astrologers were about to face is going to be the same fate for Daniel and his buddies, which means they get placed in this impossible situation, which is why we just sang about the God of the impossible. I'm going to ask you to do something seemingly impossible. I'm going to ask you to stand and stick with me through 30 verses. So stand up if you would. It's a huge passage this morning, but as you're about to discover, we can't break up these 30 verses. It just wouldn't have made sense uh, scripturally. So the reason we gather together and do church together is if you're about to fall over at about verse 19 or 20, somebody next to you, just hold them up and we'll keep going. So here we go. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, that my, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation." The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your house shall be laid in ruins. 
But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the, the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Then Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and thus said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind." Thanks, gang. You can have a seat. All right, so we've got a huge passage to work through. Our goal is to work through this passage chunk by chunk, little by little, through what we would call an expositional study, or in other words, we're going to draw meaning out of this text, and simultaneously, we're going to take a look at five different life lessons, making sure that we rightly apply what it is that Daniel was being taught about 2,600 years ago to our lives today. So let's just start so that we're clear on the one big idea that we are going to unpack in Daniel chapter 2. In these 30 verses, the one thing that we see, the overarching 
theme of this is that God puts us in impossible situations so that he alone gets the glory from an outcome that only he can produce. He puts us in situations where only he's going to be able to get the glory from an outcome that only he can produce. Out of curiosity, have you ever looked back at something that happened in your life that you ended up going through or after looking back on it, you realize the only way that I could have come out on the other side of that is if God's hand was at work? I'm wondering how many times I've missed the number of times that God's hand has been at work in my life. Well, let me take us back to verse 1 as we begin to break this down little by little and as we begin to unpack how God alone gets the glory from situations and circumstances where only he could produce the outcome that brings him glory and is for our growth and for our good. Back to verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Let me stop there for just a moment. I have had people point out this verse to me and then go to the book of Jeremiah, which is talking about the same event. And it says, in the third year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, to which I have had people say, see, there's contradictions in the Bible. There's a mistake in the Bible. Well, let's make something clear. The Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Just about the only place that we find Aramaic being used is from Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel chapter 7, because that would have been the common language of the Babylonians. In the Aramaic world, in the Babylonian world, the first year that the king is king is year zero. It's called his ascension year. So they actually don't consider the king's first year until his second year, which means in his second year, it's actually his third year. However, the book of Jeremiah is written to Jews, so they're looking at a Jewish calendar. So in the Jewish mind, it is the third year of Nebuchadnezzar. In the Babylonian mind, it's only the second year, so there's actually no contradiction. The Bible's actually completely and totally accurate once again. So I just want to clear that up. You feel smarter now? Okay, good. 605 BC is Nebuchadnezzar's ascension year. It's during that year that Daniel and his company in his ascension year would have been exiled and drug into Babylon. In 604 BC, that would have been the Babylonian first year, and in 603 BC, it would have been Nebuchadnezzar's second Babylonian year serving as king, which means at this point, Daniel and his three buddies have gone through all three years of what we read about last week in Daniel chapter 1. They've gone through their three-year three training in Chaldean literature, language, um, culture, religion. So they've been indoctrinated for three years. Daniel is now the age of 17. It's at the age of 17 in 603 BC that Nebuchadnezzar is not sleeping well. Why is it that he's not sleeping well and he's having these dreams that are freaking him out? Well, let me go back in history just a little bit more. In 606 BC, before Nebuchadnezzar's uh, being appointed to being king in 605 BC, he's just a commanding general in the Babylonian Empire, although he's extremely successful. And because he's so successful, he starts this uprising and he actually becomes king in 605 BC. Now he's young, he's inexperienced, but he's had tremendous success on the battlefield. Here's the problem even that success brings with it huge expenses. He had to pay his soldiers. He had to provide food for them. He had to have money for all the weaponry. So where does Neb get all the money? Tax the daylights out of everybody that you conquer. 
So he would tax the daylights out of the Egyptians. He would tax the daylights out of the Assyrians who he just finished conquering. He would then go in and tax the daylights out of the Israelites who he attacked in 605 BC. Now, after attacking them, there was this little city on the southern coast of Israel called Ashkelon. Ashkelon is about 40 miles almost directly west of Bethlehem, if you want to get a feel for where it's at, right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And this is a group of Jews that were not keen on paying taxes to Nebuchadnezzar because they didn't agree with him. They didn't agree with the gods that he worshipped. They didn't agree with the way he ran the government. So they didn't want to pay So Neb decided that I'm going to go in and I'm going to wipe you out. Now don't forget what happens when you mess with God's people. So Neb is kind of being warned in this dream. You're messing with God's people, so you're heaping some judgment on your head. Well, Neb doesn't care. So in 603 BC, he goes in with this full contingency of siege towers, catapults, heavy equipment, and he's ready to wipe out Ashkelon. But again, in the midst of that, God's warning him in dreams, be careful of what you're doing because you're bringing judgment upon yourself. So he's not sleeping good, but he doesn't understand what the message is from God. So he's looking for someone to give him the answer. Give me the answer to what this is all about. Let me take you back to verse two. It's a long part of the passage, so stick with me. But verses two through 16 are going to give us this rendition of what Neb is going through when he's struggling with these dreams. It says, Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and they stood before the king. They're expecting the norm. We go in, we stand before the king, he tells us the dream, we just make stuff up. But we make up something that makes the king happy so that he gives us rewards and we leave. But all of a sudden the tides kind of get turned. Neb's fed up. He's frustrated. He knows that he's probably been lied to. So it says, the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit's troubled to know the dream. Then the king, then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. In other words, stop messing around. This is the way it's going to be. The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. The Babylonians had this interesting way of killing people. They would take four really big sturdy trees and they would bend them in using some machinery. Then they would take the person, they would hoist them up and they would tie each limb to one of the four trees. Then they would cut the trees. Now you can imagine what would happen once the trees are cut and they go back to their upright position. Limbs get torn off, they're torn limb from limb, and then they go in and on top of all of that, they destroy their house, kill their family, lay it all in ruins. Isn't that just a sweet group of people? Then it goes on in verse 6, but if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. 
So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Again, here's Daniel and his three friends and probably multiple others that are all stuck in this impossible situation. We've heard the decree. It went out. We know what the king wants. We can't do it. Now what? Well, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Let's, let's stop there and take a look. What is our first life lesson from Daniel chapter 2 that we learn here? Is there anything to be learned from this? Because you may be wondering, what in the world am I supposed to learn from this guy that just wants to kill him? Well, here's the first thing that we see. God will often allow us to face impossible situations for reasons that aren't always revealed to us, but always for his glory and for our growth in Christ. Sometimes God will allow you to go through an impossible situation and he won't tell you why. Again, I'd love for us to be able to be honest in this church. Have you ever gotten to a point where something is happening in your life and you have no idea why it's happening? Lord, why would you allow this to happen? Okay, I'm not supposed to tell you this because I'm your pastor, but I've doubted before. I've doubted why God is doing something. I've wondered why he's working the way he is. I've wondered why he hasn't just rescued me or my family from it. Why are you allowing this to happen? Y'all been there before? And the amazing thing is, God doesn't always have to tell me. Did you know that God's not obligated to let Dave know why I'm going through what I'm going through? Did you know that he's not obligated to tell you why you're going through what you're going through? But what he does always tell us in his word is that whatever it is that you're going through and whatever reason it is that you're going through it, it's always for God's glory and it's always for our growth in Christ. So in the first 16 verses, we see this madman of a king. He's ready to execute thousands of people because, by the way, that's how many magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers would have been on hand at any given point in time, probably thousands And that includes Daniel and his buddies, and that puts them in one of these impossible life situations. Now, here's what I want to look at in verses 17 and 18. What did Daniel and his buddies not do, and what did they do in the midst of that impossible situation? Well, in verses 17 and 18, here's what they didn't and did do. It says, Then Daniel went to his house, and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed and the rest of the wise men with Babylon. Okay, notice what's not there. He didn't slander the king. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame anybody else for his circumstances or his situations. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. All the things that I have a tendency as a human being to do. I'm in this situation because it's somebody else's fault. Or God, why did you let this happen? Why aren't you rest? Did you notice that Daniel didn't do any of those things? So what did he do? Well, it's our second life lesson. Daniel made his impossible situation known to his believing community. He brought it to those that loved God just like he did. Did you know that we were created to do life together? Did you know that it's good for you to be here? On a Sunday? Did you know that this is why I at times will make statements that are not meant to to sound like I'm 
just trying to tell government or those in authority to take a hike because I, I do believe that we need to respect our authority and obey them as long as they are in line with God's word. But there has come a time back in 2020 and into 2021 where some mandates were put out that we weren't supposed to gather together. I want to share with you, I'm not making these up. These are not coming from Christians. These are coming from secular psychologists and sociologists, um, as well as those that are pollsters, that during the time of 2020 to 2021, when most things were shut down, the pornography industry saw a boost in revenue like we have never seen before. The statistics for the numbers of suicides committed in one year were astronomically higher than decades previous to that. The use of illegal and legal drugs to the point where it was injuring people and killing them was at a record high in a one-year period of time. It just so happened to be when everything was shut down. Churches, stores, question, coincidence? I don't think so. I think God's word got it right, that we need each other badly. We need each other desperately. We need to be bringing to our believing community some of the things that are happening within our midst. I, I am not at all meaning to make light of sicknesses, of diseases, but I talked to people that live in other countries that are not as privileged as we are, that have people that are dying of not only diseases, but being attacked by terrorists and killed on a weekly basis for their faith in Christ, that, have, that said to me, I got a pastor buddy over in Uganda, in Africa, that said to me, Pastor Dave, which is worse? Being holed up and outside of God's will and in misery and depression or dying of a sickness and going and being with Jesus? Man, when he worded it that way, I'm like, Casa, good question, brother. He's like, which is worse? He said, my people on a weekly basis are dying of diseases that have nothing to do with COVID. And yet while they do it, they're doing it inside of God's will and loving him. And then they're just going from worshiping Jesus this side of heaven to worshiping Jesus on the other side of heaven. It's like, I'd much rather be in that position than outside of God's will. Hold up and away from his people where I'm designed to be. Well, let me move us on, if I could, to verses 19 through 23 as we take a look at exactly what Daniel did with his believing community. Once he got together with Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah and his companions, what do they do? Well, it says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, just so we're clear, he's just busting out in prayer. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Our third life lesson is that Daniel brought his impossible situation to the Lord in prayer. When the astrologers and the enchanters and the Chaldeans could do nothing but search the stars, Daniel went to the creator of the stars. He recognized, I got direct access to the God of the universe. What do I need to consult the stars for? 
I'll go talk to the one that made the stars. Now notice how Daniel prayed to the creator. Man, what a great lesson on how to pray in Daniel chapter 2. How does he start? He doesn't start with his problem. He doesn't start with a complaint. He doesn't even start with the impossible situation. Look how he starts. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. How does he start? Worship God. It's amazing. Now, again, I'm not making light of our struggles. We, we have them. They're real. We get stressed out. We've got things that are going on in our lives. I get it. But it is amazing how much smaller those stresses, it's amazing how much smaller those problems become, the bigger God gets. I'm not saying God gets bigger and bigger. I'm saying we realize more and more his bigness. In our hearts and our minds, we get a better feel daily the more time we spend in his word and praising him for how big God is. And the bigger God becomes to us, the smaller our issues become. However, when the gaze becomes on the problem and we're only glancing on Jesus, the problem becomes huge and it seems insurmountable. Think about those two terms, gazing and glancing. What are you gazing upon versus what are you glancing at? Glance at the problem, but gaze upon Jesus because he's so much bigger than anything that we are ever going to face. You're going to end up finding out that time and time again, Daniel had no idea what the outcome of his impossible situation was going to be. But what we do know is that he kept gazing upon the Lord of the universe. He kept gazing upon the God of the universe. We'll see that played out in Daniel chapter 3. You all know what happens in Daniel chapter 3? It's coming in two weeks. He gets thrown into a fiery furnace because he keeps worshiping the God of the universe. In Daniel chapter 5, he's got to give this interpretation of this hand that suddenly appears and starts writing on the wall, telling the king of the fate that he's about to face. Daniel chapter 6, which by the way, I'm going to spoil it for you, but by the time you get to Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel's getting thrown into the lion's den, he's not some spry 20-year-old. He's an old man at that point, probably in his 70s or 80s. Just keep that in the back of your mind when he gets thrown into this lion's den, looking at the jowls of a lion, and yet still keeping his gaze totally focused upon the creator of the universe. By the way, did I just offend anybody by saying he's an old man when he's like 70 or 80? Okay, don't hurt me afterwards. There's another life lesson, by the way, that's embedded in this passage. It's the very first part of verse 19. It says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. What we learn here is that God gives wisdom to those that seek his will. Oftentimes comes in the form of being able to just see and hear God more clearly. When I'm within his will and I'm in his word on a consistent basis, I'm able to see God more clearly in the midst of impossible situations. It's when we panic and we try to control situations that oftentimes we stop hearing God. We've done what I call putting too much static on the line, and so we're not hearing clearly. So with that wisdom that Daniel receives from the Lord as he's seeking out his will, notice how he gives God all of the credit. None of it goes to himself. Because he could have very well said, yep, hey king, I'm awesome. I mean, watch this. I'm not only going to tell you the interpretation of the dream, I'm going to tell you what the dream is all about. Again, we're going to get a little lesson here from verses 24 through 30 on the blessing of just giving all the credit back to God. Because as the reminder that I get on a daily basis, I'm here for a short time. And when I get to heaven, it's not going to be about me. So why make it about us now? 
So it says, beginning in verse 24, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to them, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Now, can you imagine the king's probably getting ticked off? Wait a minute. You just told me that you guys could bring someone in that can show me the dream and its interpretation. So you can see the king probably having his blood pressure start to rise, his face is getting red, to which Daniel's just trying to make a point. It's not me who's going to help you out here. See, there's a big but in verse 28. You ready for it? But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, come thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all of the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Gang, he's 17. And he just said, it's not about me. Now, I'm not picking on particular groups, but any of y'all ever watch Disney? Now listen, there's some things on Disney that have gotten pretty bad, and there's definitely an agenda, but even the ones that we look at that we go, hey, there was nothing bad in that, the gist of almost everything you see in Disney is girls, you could become a princess that ascends to the top of the kingdom, and everybody should worship you. Guys, you are that prince that everybody should be looking to, everything is about you. Even their sitcoms now, their 30-minute television programs are about us becoming the center of the universe, the center of the world. You wonder why we're so depressed. Because oftentimes things don't work out the way we see them happen in a Disney movie or in a Disney show. And that brings us to our last life lesson. God purposefully puts us in positions to exalt him. God will purposefully put us in positions to exalt him, but then he gives us the choice in the sanctification process of becoming more like Christ by making it all about Christ, or we can hurt our relationship with him by making it all about us. Now, I want to finish this morning with some very practical, applicational encouragements to you on living like Daniel in a Babylonian world. The first one is this, and they're, by the way, they're all about resting and sleeping. Do any of you all not sleep well sometimes at night? Anybody in the room not sleep well? I notice that most of you that raised your hands are like me, old. That's why we don't sleep well anymore. But there's other reasons. Sleep well knowing that God never sleeps and that he sovereignly rules over all of creation. I love what Solomon wrote. Solomon wrote Psalm 127. When Solomon wrote Psalm 127, he's trying to oversee not just his own family and his own kids, but an entire nation, an entire kingdom. And in it, he says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep, he gives to his beloved sleep. The verse prior to that says that if a man tries to build a house without the Lord, it's in vain. 
If you try to run a kingdom without the Lord, ultimately it's in vain. But if you recognize who it is that's in control of your home, if you recognize who it is that's in control of your career, if you recognize who it is that's in control of that many kingdom that you might have to oversee, we sleep a lot better. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, which was in our passage this morning, it says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. That also reminds me and encourages me, and I hope it does the same for you. Sleep well, knowing that while you don't know what the future holds, you know who holds the future. I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring. It might be the greatest day ever. It might be a day where I get a diagnosis from the doctor that I never wanted to hear. It might be a day where all of a sudden you inherit this massive amount of wealth. It might be a day where you lose your job and everything comes crashing to the ground. I have no idea what the future holds. What I do know is that I know the one who holds the future, and he's already there. This is mind-boggling to me. The other day, I was trying to wrap my mind around someone who is eternal. That from eternity past to the time that God created time, space, and matter, to the time that Jesus came into the world and died on the cross, to 2,000 years later, here we are in New Mexico and Albuquerque worshiping Jesus. Did you know that all of that is like one simultaneous event to the Lord because he's not bound by time? How does that work? That's just nuts to me. There isn't this gap of 2,000 years to the Lord because to the Lord there are years. He created time for us but he's not bound by it, which should bring us an immense amount of comfort because regardless of whether we're here for another day, another year, another decade, God's already there and he already knows how things are going to play out. Lastly, sleep well knowing that since the whole world is in God's hands, your world and my world is in God's hands. Isaiah Chapter 40, verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Again, it is extremely important that we understand context when it comes to passages. This was written during a time of absolute panic because the Assyrians in about 720 BC have come in and ravaged the northern kingdom in Israel. And they're attacking and taking Israel captive. And in the midst of all of that, Isaiah is making the Israelites aware of two things. Number one, I told you this was coming. God already told us this was coming. If we lived in our sin, things are going to go wrong for us. There's going to be problems. I told you it was coming. Before I go on to the second thing, let me just encourage us. We are currently living in a culture that is pro-evil, pro-death, pro a lot of things that are against Scripture. That's just a fact of the matter. I'm not making stuff up. I'm not playing doomsday prophet. That's just what we're living in right now. If you're not aware of that, please pick up, nobody reads a newspaper anymore, go online and start reading what's going on in the world. Watch modern day television. We are in a little bit of a mess and in a little bit of a predicament. The predicament that we're in is that we're followers of Jesus living in a Babylonian world. God has told us over and over again, those nations that turn their back on the Lord and turn their back on his word are going to face a judgment. That could very well be coming our way before we know it. Just be aware of that. It's coming. All that to be said, do you know why we don't have to freak out? Because of what Isaiah just told the Israelites in verse 12. 
God has marked out the waters in the hollow of his hand. He's marked out the heavens with a span. He's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. He's weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. In other words, Isaiah is trying to make the Israelites aware. Just be clear on how big God is. He's so much bigger than the Assyrians. He's so much bigger than the Babylonians and the Egyptians and all those that have come before and will come after. He's so much bigger than the evil that's running rampant in our society. Let me encourage you. He who is in you is greater than the one of this world. Let me say that again. He who is in you is greater than the one of this world. Do any of us sitting in the room actually believe that? I do. Therefore, let's go out and live lives that actually reflect that. In fact, I'm going to conclude with this. If God can rule over all of creation, if God can use evil kings and evil kingdoms, if he can overcome sin and death, he can certainly use our lives for his glory and for our good. Who's ready to be like Daniel and go make a difference in a Babylonian world? Hey, listen, gang, I'm, again, I'm not trying to, to like rouse up unnecessary emotion, but is anybody in any way, shape, or form like just a little bit excited about the Jesus you serve and seeing him do something amazing in Albuquerque because his people have said, I am going to give my all for Jesus. So let's be those people. Let me spend a moment, if I could, let me pray for us, and then I'll get ready to send you all out of here. Jesus, we come before you and we trust that you truly are King of kings, Lord of lords. You're bigger than anything in the universe. You're bigger than the things that come our way. You are bigger than the things that we see in this world. You're bigger than the evil that we see running rampant. You're bigger than kings and kingdoms. And Lord, we know that you're the one that sets up kings and brings them down. You're the one who allows kingdoms to rise up and then you cause them to fall down. But Lord, we know that your kingdom will never be destroyed. As we will get to see in the weeks to come... We will see how you allow kingdoms to be set up and destroyed and how your kingdom will be set up forever in eternity. And so, Lord, may we just get in the habit of doing what you have created us to do and what we will do for all of eternity, and that is bring you the honor and the glory and the worship that you deserve. May we do that not only on a Sunday, but for the rest of the days of this week as well. And Lord Jesus, it's you that we lift up in honor and extol this morning. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we all pray together. Amen. A couple things real quick before you go. If uh, you'd like to join up in the loft, we do have what's called Next Steps that tells you a little bit more about how God is um, just working in our midst here at New Covenant, how we plan to see the gospel of Jesus continue to go forth. So you're invited to um, join us for that. And then lastly, on a non-eternal matter, if you are a football fan, go Chargers. Have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.